Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus. We're just going to get right into the word today. And man, I just sense the spirit of the Lord is here so strongly in my heart. And uh, I just really am excited to preach this message to you. And I want to get back into worship because I just sense God's going to do something today. We're going to get back into our series in the book of 1 Corinthians. We've been in a, uh, a series called In Not Of, studying um, 1 Corinthians and verse by verse. And we're going to be in this for uh, this week and next week. And then we're going to pop out of it for Pastor Brett. And then we're going to do a three-week series. My wife's going to be speaking in a few weeks. Come on, that's going to be fantastic. And uh, also we have another guest speaker coming at the, uh, at the end of April uh, who is um, a, uh, an ex-cop, uh, was, a, uh, was an undercover prostitute, uh, and she's going to come. And what she does is she just uh, comes and brings faith mixed with some action, pr- uh, some practical things, and it's going to be fantastic. And uh, so we got some good stuff coming up for you. Uh, but we, I'm excited today to be sharing this word with you because the really cool thing about studying the Bible in this way is that it forces me to just really tell you, to teach you what the Bible says. I, I can't really fabricate anything else. I can't throw on my own agenda. Really, my job is just to study the verse each week, come and bring you the, the, the definitions, the meaning of what it's trying to say, and apply it to your life. And so that's the great thing is that you might say, why did he choose to talk about this today? Well, I really didn't. It's just what's next in the scripture. And that's why I love preaching through the Bible in this way, because it forces us to have conversations that maybe we wouldn't have. And we can kind of adhere our, our lives to the, to the word of the Lord. And so there is some things today that Paul's going to talk about in this scripture. If you have your phone, uh, your, you can go to the YouVersion app. All the notes are available to you there. You can just uh, log into that. Also, if you're in the family room today, you can uh, log into that as well because it's very challenging to see the screen. And um, if you miss any of our previous messages and in not of, you can uh, go online and listen to that. Well, so we're going to get right into it today. Let's read this together. You can turn your Bibles. We're going to read from the ESV today, and I'm going to read it right from this scripture here. We're going to read verse 9. It says, It's Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to the church, sorry, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse Verse four says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in this day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So what we've learned so far about this book is that Paul wrote this, uh, he was on a missionary journey to, uh, to Corinth, and he went there and he basically knew nobody. And he preached the gospel to a couple that shared the same trade as he did. He was a tent maker. Uh, he led them to the Lord. And then it just kind of went from there. He began leading people to God. And the church was founded and started based on the people just finding about the truth of Christ and believing in the Savior, Jesus Christ. And so he preached this message, uh, but was there about a year and a half, planted the church of Corinth, felt the Lord leading him to go to, to uh, the city of Ephesus to plant another church. And he went there. And while he was there about three years later, 
later. So the church at this time is about four and a half, five years old. Uh, they, the, the letters were coming back to Paul because there was all sorts of things happening in the church. There was a, 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 a man was sleeping with his mother-in-law and the people were getting drunk at communion and there was people were, were, were uh, speaking in tongues during the service and like five people were trying to give interpretations and arguing in the service about who was right. They were having all sorts of things. Um, the sin and the culture was pervasive in the church and the, the people of Corinth, the, the Christians used to live a life of, of this culture. They used to embrace this reality. They used to embrace the, the culture's definition of how to live. Then they met Jesus and there was an expectation that their lifestyle should change, but um, it doesn't always happen that way. And so the people begin to allow all sorts of things happen in the church. And so Paul was writing the le these letters to address the church and to say, hey, this is kind of how you're supposed to be living as a follower of Jesus Christ. And so we talked about truth and we talked about how we're sanctified and how we were, we were sanctified in the truth of Jesus Christ and, and how we, we, we now have an absolute truth. And well, everyone in the world's looking for truth and they argue truth and debate truth, but the reality is whether people like it or not, the, the reality is this, is that we have the truth. The truth is that Jesus Christ is divine and he's 100% God and he was human and he died on the cross and rose on the third day. And so we saw that. And then last week we talked about five things Paul did to realize his call for him to be able to write that he's called by God that took some, some years to really come to the place where he could believe that. And so five things he did to do that. And so today what we're going to talk about is the implications of grace in your life. Next week we'll talk about the implications of peace in your life. And today we're going to look at four things that we see in the scripture that are their implications of grace. Things that happen in our life by God's grace. What grace does in our life. And so we see that in our, our first verse, in verse three, he says, grace and peace to you. And in verse four, he goes further and he says, I give thanks, I give thanks to you, my God, always for you because of the grace of God that, that, that was given to you in Christ Jesus. My, my phone's not responding. So Ryan, you can follow me along here. And I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. So there's four things we see here that, happens when we experience grace. The first thing, very simply, if you're here today, this might be elementary for you, but I felt it was appropriate to say it. We receive the, the power of the implication of grace is salvation. Salvation in our lives. We experience salvation. And this is interesting because the word charisma actually is the word, or I'm sorry, the word grace is actually the word charis, the word charisma, the word charismatic. Well, the word grace actually is the word charismatic. And so the charisma of God, the, 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 the charis of God is the salvation of God in your life. The word grace in the original language is charis, from which the English adjective charismatic. It is charisma, which means a gift freely given to someone, a gift which was not deserved and which could never have been earned by that individual's own effort. And so what happened was that before the foundations of time, God actually chose you for himself. He actually made you. He formed you. He, he articulated who you were, sent you off into the world, into a, a world of a carnal nature and free will. And the reason you're here today as a follower of Jesus Christ is because you responded to the grace of God. 
And so he chose you, he called you, he destined you, he saved you, he forgave you, he redeemed you, he made you new, he gave you this new life to live. And you might say, Ryan, this is elementary. The reality is that many of us don't realize that God called us before the foundations of time to follow him. And he did that and you responded to the call of God You responded with your free will. You responded to the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of God. And you experienced the salvation of Jesus Christ. We see two scriptures here, Ephesians 1, 6 and 8. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He's so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom In all understanding, how about a further explanation of grace in Luke 15? Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. And this made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people and even eating with them. And so Jesus told him the story, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that he's lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he's going to call together all of his friends and neighbors and say, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. And in the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. And so what Jesus did for us is that we strayed and he found us and he put us on his back. He carried us and he restored us and he made us new and he gave us salvation and he gave us grace and he gave us mercy and along our journey as following Jesus, we often forget of that basic reality and so we get a little screwed up in our thinking, thinking that there's something that we can do to deserve it. I gotta be better and I gotta read more and I gotta do more. No, 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 you don't have to do anything. His grace is free. He found you. He put you on his shoulders. He picked you up. He restored you. It had nothing to do with your goodness. It had nothing to do with your heart. It had nothing to do with anything other than the fact that he loves you and you responded to that free gift. You received it and said, okay, this is mine. This is salvation. So very simple for those of you who've been in church for a while. The second thing that we see that grace, the implications of grace in the scripture is found in our same key text here. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given for you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched. So the the second thing that we've experienced from grace is satisfaction. It's very interesting. Paul only used this word enriched three times in the entire New Testament. Two of those times he used them in the context of money. There was a debate going on about money in the church and Paul came and used the word enriched to talk about a concept that refers to grace. He used it in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, a very famous scripture many teachers or preachers use to talk about tithing when it has nothing to do with tithing at all. In fact, it has nothing to do with tithing. It has everything to do with generosity of the church, people giving above and beyond, giving a generous gift. And so this is what Paul says in the script, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times. He says what the grace of God does is the grace of God gives you sufficiency. That word sufficiency means enough, adequate, a perfect condition of life in which no aid is needed. A mind that is content with its lot in life. 
independent of external circumstances. So when the grace of God comes into your life, not only does he save you, but he fills you up to a place where you say, I don't need anything else in my life to satisfy me. I literally find all of my satisfaction from Christ's grace, from God's grace in my life. He meets every need of me. Is that possible? Yes, it is. He meets every possible need in our life. And then he uses our word enriched. He continues He says this, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Look what he says, you will be enriched in how many ways? Everywhere. That word enriched actually literally means to make rich of spiritual gifts, richly furnished, riches, wealth, abundance of external possessions. The word means to be fulfilled, to be filled. This is why it's important for you to understand the ramifications of grace in your life is because if you are trying to find satisfaction from other things, listen, you are not embracing and accepting the grace of Jesus for your life. And in fact, in Galatians chapter five, I don't have it on the screen, Paul actually says that when you try to find satisfaction outside of the grace of Christ, the Bible says you are cut off from Christ. You are out of relationship with him. You are actually not engaging in a back and forth relationship with God when you're trying to find things outside of God's grace to satisfy what only God can satisfy. And so what he does is he brings a satisfaction. Now in that satisfaction, he brings you a spouse or a friend or he brings you a job or he brings you natural things. You say, Ryan, are natural things bad? No, no, but those are often the result of you first finding enough satisfaction in Jesus. And he provides the opportunity. He provides a job. He provides a relationship. He provides the the sense of hope and the faith and the joy and the peace. He provides the satisfaction that only comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so that's the second thing grace does for us. The third thing that we see in the scripture very clearly, he says that, that in every way you were enriched, you were filled to complete in him. Look at this, in all speech and all knowledge. So it starts by saying you're globally as an individual, salvation is yours. You are forgiven, you are set free. He says, okay, now individually you are satisfied. Now I'm gonna go even further and say that the grace of God impacts your how you talk and how you think. And so the third thing that the grace does in your life is grace impacts how we think and speak. It impacts your truth. We talked a little bit about this for our first two weeks on this. You should go listen to it about truth, about he impacts how you talk about things now. Now your speech is changing because you're beginning to see things and think things differently. You, you begin to perceive the ways of God and the ways of this world and the difficulties and challenges of this life that you're experiencing. You begin to see it differently because grace comes and begins to change your thinking. So now you begin to speak differently and you begin to act differently and you begin to think differently and your perception on your finances and your marriage and your life is different because he's impacting the way you think the way you're wired, also impacting the way you communicate to other people. And it's really interesting, these two words, this, this word uh, speech is the word logos. We talked about this uh, also in our series already. The word logos is the sayings of God, the moral precepts of God, the doctrines or teaching, reasoning, mental faculties of the mind, the moral teachings of God. So the word logos is the Greek word really would, would imply the, the, the word of God, the Bible. So we can, 
we can take from that definition, he's talking about that, that your speech, you are, your, your speech is saturated with the Bible, the word. And then John actually takes the same word logos and he actually inserts it into his very first of his writings in John chapter one, verse one and five. He says, in the beginning was the word. That word is the word speech or logos. So in the beginning was the logos and the word was with God or the logos was with God and the logos was God. So now the author is calling this Bible or this sayings of God, he's using the word logos to define Jesus. So now we have two definitions of the word logos. We have the truth, the, we have Jesus, we have the person of God, and we have the word of God. And then Jesus takes it even farther and he says, okay, listen, John 17, 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word, your logos is truth. So now what Paul's saying is, is that your, your speech, your logos your truth. You're now speaking truth. You, your truth has changed. Your, the way you talk has shifted. You no longer talk about the things you used to talk about. And I'm not talking behaviorally. I'm talking in the concepts of theology or the concepts of doctrine or the concepts of right and wrong, moral truth. What do we believe in in this world? All the cultural things that are happening. You used to think about it and talk about it this way, but now you speak about it through the word of God. Now you speak about it through Jesus. Now your, your, your words are saturated with the love and the forgiveness and the grace and the redemption of Jesus Christ. And the interesting next word is the word knowledge. This is the word gnosis. This is where we get the concept of Gnosticism or Gnostics. Gnostics were individuals in that day in the Corinthian church. They believed that spirit was good, but body was bad. So this, in, in the Corinthian church in, in Corinth, it was very common to have people with really good speech. They had really, really good speech together. They had good orators and good speakers and they would talk about the truths of God and philosophies and all sorts of things. And they would talk and, and the, the people in, the Corinth, uh, in Corinth would celebrate the fact that this person has more knowledge than this person. And so they would often communicate in their speech. And so that's why Paul wrote this in, 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 uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians 1.17. Look what he says. For Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the good news and not with clever logos, not with clever speech. I didn't try to convince people by debating them or, or, or try, to, try to bring this really eloquent teaching. I just brought the cross of Christ. I just brought Jesus. I just brought the truth. I just brought the word of God. And what that happened was is it just didn't only impact his speech, but it impacted his gnosis. And so what they would do is, is in this Corinthian culture, which is very similar to our culture, we glorify the understanding of truth or knowledge, but they believed that the body was bad. And so they had no moral, moral boundary for their life. So the more they could ravage their bodies, the more sex they could have, the more drugs they could do, the more things they could do to denounce this body, Body, to ruin this temple, that's why most people reject the idea that Jesus was 100% man and 100% God. They believe that he could have been a prophet. He could have been a good God. He could have even been like a, like, a, a, like a picture of God, but there's no way he walked on this earth because that means that he came and lived in a body. He had a physical form. And so these people had no moral boundary. They could sleep with who they wanted to sleep with. They could drink as much as they wanted to to drink. They could act like they wanted to act. But as long as they were having the right thinking, the right mind, as long as they were embracing the truths, the universal truths, the relative truths and accepting what was happening around them, then they were accepted in that culture. 
And so if someone had an absolute truth perspective as a Corinthian came and said, well, this is the, this is the truth, they would say, well, I, like, I don't really know if that's the truth. Uh, I feel like this is the truth, and this is the thought, and this is the idea. And then the Christian would say, well, but, well I believe that it doesn't just happen in, in my mind or my mouth, but I actually have to live that out. But you're not living that out, so it doesn't make a lot of sense. You don't really have a moral foundation. So what they were really, really good at is they were really, they, they were, the, the, their speech and their minds were, were, were blessed with the grace of God. They understood the concepts of Christianity. They understood the ideas of Jesus. They understood the ideas of his word. I'm getting somewhere. That's why I'm belaboring this point. They understood these things with their mind. They spoke about these things with their lips. When he wrote this to the Corinthians, he was saying to them, listen, you've done a really good job at accepting the grace of God. You're saved. That's, that's final. You didn't do anything to get it. You're saved. You, you, you're finding satis- you need to find your satisfaction in God. So you, you've experienced the grace of God. And he says, I want you to know, you guys excel in knowing the truth. You guys excel in talking about the truth. Like you're really good. You kind of got these things figured out. You can talk about it. Someone asks you, hey, tell me about your religion. You'll say, well, I believe in Jesus and I I believe that he died on a cross. I know it doesn't make any sense. and I know he rose from the dead. You get the basic foundations of the truth of the logos of Jesus. You get it. And he's celebrating that fact. But it comes to our fourth implication of grace. And Paul wrote this a bit ironically because if you read the rest of 1 Corinthians, you'll see that based on the writings of Paul, the Corinthians weren't doing great in the area of doing what they talked about. They talked about it, they believed it, they thought about it, they, they lived it internally, but they were struggling to live it externally. And the reason we know that is because Paul spent a majority of the book talking, teaching them about spiritual gifting. And he makes this statement to them. It's, it's an ironic statement. It's almost like me saying to you, like, like me, someone coming to me, I don't play the piano. Uh, I, I wish that I could, but I don't. If I sit down, I can play one song. Uh, I want to know you for any of the old school church people. I want to know you. That's the only thing I can play. Or holiness. Those are my two songs. Holiness and I want to know you. I want to know you. You know that song? I want to see your face. I can do that really good. Um, but it'd be like my wife coming to me and say, Ryan, you are the best. You are the best piano player on the planet. Now, everyone hears me playing knows, mm, not the best piano player on the, ma- on the planet. But sh- what she's doing is she's speaking what could be. She's speaking what is a potential. She's speaking what should be, what could be. You could be potentially a really good piano player, but you're n- not right now. And that's kind of what Paul is saying in this scripture. And this is, what, this is the, the, the scripture we have. Look what he says in verse seven. He says, the fact that you are... S- saturated with grace in your speech and your, and your thinking shows, it says it confirms that what I told you about Christ is true. Verse seven, now you have every spiritual gift you need. We say it in a different translation, the ESV. He says, so that you are not lacking in any gift. So he's looking at these people and he's saying, listen, I want you to know you literally have everything that you need to make it until the end. That word revealed is the word apocalypso. (laughs) He says, you actually have every gift you need until the apocalypse. 
He says, you have everything that you need to make it strong. You have everything you need to be fulfilled. You have everything you need to be satisfied. God has given you by his grace, everything that you need to live the life that God wants you to live right now. I'm going to write a few things for a few chapters that would would insinuate that you're not doing that. But I want you to know today, there is a potential for you. You can live the life that God has called you to live. And the fourth thing here, we see the implication of grace, which will be our last one, which we'll spend the remaining moments on here this morning. The implications of grace is salvation, satisfaction, how we think and how we speak, where many of us are at. But then it goes to how we give our lives. How do we give our life? How do we live our life? It's interesting, again, that this word uh, grace is the word charisma, charismatic. If we look at the, the gifts, let's look for a moment at the gifts that Paul talked about. There's a lot of them. Let's read them. Look at them for a moment. Exhortation, encouragement, giving, leadership, mercy, prophecy, service, teaching, administration, apostle, words of wisdom, evangelist, pastor, celibacy, hallelujah, hospitality, martyrdom, missionary, uh, voluntary poverty, distinguishing between spirits, discernment, faith, healings, helps, words of knowledge, miracles, prophecy, teaching, tongues, uh, uh, interpretation of tongues. Now I want to make a side note here because many people hear the word charismatic and they automatically think about a denomination. Or you automatically think about a group of people who celebrate specific gifts such as speaking in tongues or specific gifts such as prophecy or specific gifts that maybe you come from an environment that's more of a conservative environment. You say, well, I'm not a charismatic. The charismatics are the, the weird ones who, you know, they, they do the weird stuff. They're weird guys. I want you to know something, that that is not a biblical interpretation of what a charismatic is. A biblical interpretation of what the word charismatic is, is people who actually do uh, practice and live out the gift God has given them. It has nothing to do with speaking in tongues. That's just one of the gifts that every one of us should seek. The Bible very clearly says that we should seek and desire and want whatever gift the Lord wants us to give us for this particular season of our life. He wants to give you a tool and a gift for your life so that the the season that you're in right now, he says, hey, listen, Joel, I know you're going through this season, so I want to give you this gift to help you through this season. You might not be speaking in tongues. You might not have faith. You might not have miracle of healing. That's why people say, Ryan, we want to pray and believe that people can be healed. I believe that People can be healed. I believe that it's my responsibility to lay my hands on sick people and they shall recover. But I want you to hear my words. Just because I pray does not mean they will be healed. There is a gift of healing that people have received. If Chantel had the gift of healing and someone over here was sick, I'd say, Chantel, you got the gift of healing. You need to pray for this person because I'm going to pray because I'm being obedient, but you have a gift that I don't have to see this person healed. You need to understand something. Often we shy away from charismatic or charisma or charis or grace in our life because we don't want to be those people. We don't want to look like that. But I want you to know something. Every person in the room today, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, has at least one of these gifts. At least one of these gifts in your life. Right now in our rhythms group, last week we did this, and this week we're going to kind of flesh it out a little bit and talk about our spiritual gifting. And and this is appropriate for this Sunday. But every single individual in this room has at least one of these gifts. 
You may not know what it is. It may be in its embryonic stage. You might be new to this idea, but the reality is, is that you have been given a gift from God. And I believe very strongly, if you are not exercising that gift, you are not experiencing what God has for your life. You're missing out on the full implications of grace in your life. And that's what Paul was trying to say to them. Listen, you need to know, you gotta stop focusing on, he, they went off on speaking in tongues and off on prophecy and off on all these other ones. He says, listen, there's a lot of gifts. You've been given every gift. Now you need to start living it out and actually living your life out by experiencing everything God has for you, by understanding what your gift is and exercising. It's your God-given responsibility to exercise the gift that he's given you. And this statement is, a, is kind of a way to encapsulate that. The value of your life as a Christian will be determined by the degree to which you use your gift God has given you. This is why many followers of Jesus find themselves stagnant. They find themselves a little bit confused. They find themselves a little bit, they, they think, man, I feel distant from the Lord. You're not distant from God because you haven't tried to read your Bible. You're not distant from God because you haven't tried to pray. That's not the fact. It's because you're, you're trying to be a microwave when you've been called to be a coffee maker. You're trying to warm up stuff when you're supposed to be brew, brewing coffee. Try to stick toast to the top of a coffee maker, thinking, we're going to get my toast out. No, no, you're, you're misusing the gift that God's given you. This will, will blow up your life as a Christian. This will change your perspective on the life that you're living when you realize that you are not just here to sit and watch and think to yourself, well, like, I guess I'm just gonna go to church and leave church and go to church and leave church and go to the prayer meeting and go to the Bible study. Yes, that's awesome. You got the speech down. You've got the knowledge down. You're getting it. But now you gotta start doing something about it. I believe that a good majority of followers of Jesus, a good majority of the church, specifically in North America, are stuck on step for. And if you could just understand today that it's not my gift, it's your gift. This gift that God has given you, this reality, this ironic statement Paul's making is true for you. And now we, we use this, this scripture in 2 Corinthians, the word enriched. I'm going to go back there for a moment. If we look at this, this scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 again, it says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, is that having all sufficiency in all things at all times. So remember, he gives us sufficiency. He fills us up. But look what it says next. Why? That you may abound in every good work. So understand this. He's saying you've been given the grace. You've been given the salvation. You've been given the satisfaction. Your mind has been changed. Your speech has been changed. But now you have to understand there's something that has to happen. There has to be some doing. There has to be some works. He says the point of the grace is that you may abound in every good work. He says it again in the next verse. You will be enriched in every way. Why? To be generous in how many ways? Every way. You're going to be filled up and satisfied and given every spiritual blessing in your life. Not just so that you can sit on it and watch. So that you can do something about it. So that you can actually go and do every good work God has given you. This, this scripture was written in the context of the Corinthian church. They made a promise to the church of Jerusalem 
Paul was uh, raising money for the poor in Jerusalem. They were very persecuted and poor, and Paul had a heart to feed them. He wanted to feed the poor. And so he went to every church, and he had a, a campaign, he had a video, and he had a cool pitch, and he got up, and people would bring him in, and he'd share with them, and he shared this with the Corinthian church, and they were so ecstatic. They were like, oh my gosh. They were like, we want to do it. And they were a very wealthy Calgarian church. And they said, we're going to give all this money. We're going to support them like nobody else. And they made a commitment of this much money. I don't know the exact amount, but it was a large amount of cash to help the poor in Jerusalem. And Paul wrote this scripture because they said that they were going to help, but they hadn't done it yet. And it had been a year. He said, I want I want you to know that I'm here today to say you've been given the grace of God. You've been given the gifts that you have. You've been given the blessing and the provision in your life, not just to make commitments that you're going to do stuff, but to actually do it. And look what he says. Let's read the scripture together in 2 Corinthians, a previous chapter. Look at this. We want you to know, this is Paul talking to the Corinthian church. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia for in a, in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Macedonian church was poor as poor could be. I mean, imagine the poorest place you could think about in, in the world today. They were just about in that realm. Very, very poor. But because God gave them the grace, they sensed the grace of God, they responded by giving more than the Corinthian church gave. And it was because they realized God gave them a grace. God gave them a gift. They were responding and they gave lavishly. And look what it says. Verse three, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and then beyond their means of their own accord. Now I want to make just a side note. I'm not talking about money today. So just hear my heart. We're talking about spiritual gift. So I don't want, I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. I feel I need to say that. Verse four, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Look at this next verse. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. Now look what Paul says to the Corinthian church. But as you excel in everything, you excel in your faith, you're excelling in your, your logos, your speech, your truth, you're excelling in your knowledge. You know a lot. You're excelling in your desire. And in our love for you, you see that you excel in this act of grace also. See, the challenge for the Corinthian church is they didn't need God. They didn't really ultimately need the church. They were wealthy. They lived in very prominent circumstances. They really didn't need it, but God came and changed them and they experienced the salvation and the grace and the satisfaction of God. It changed their speech, it changed their words. And they had all of these great things forget out. Paul saying, you do so good in these things, but I want you now to excel in this. I want you to take it a step further and I want you to begin to excel in how you give your life. I'm gonna read another, one last scripture and then James is going to come. It's in Mark chapter 12. It says, one of the teachers of the religious law was standing there listening to the debate. He realized that Jesus had answered well, so he asked of all the commandments, which is the most important? And Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart 
all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. That word strength there means bodily powers. Talks about your energy, things you put your hands on, your daily physical energies. The Hebrew word miyad, actually the word for, uh, for strength there is word vehemently, to give it everything you've got. The Greek word is iskus, and that word iskus means usefulness, ability, and might. And so what this is saying is, is, that, is that Jesus here is having a conversation. Someone, a religious teacher, this religious teacher, his words were considered on the same level as God's word. And teachers of that day, when they taught the scriptures, it was on the same level. So this man was a man of God. Now understand this for a moment. This man who asked this question was also a man who hadn't met Jesus yet. So if we can see him not as a Pharisee, not as a Sadducee, but as a, as a man who earnestly served the Lord. He knew the word of God. He taught the word of God. He was a religious teacher. He lived his life following the, the Jewish practices. Hadn't met Jesus. And now he meets Jesus. Listens to the debate. Says, hey, now help me here. What's the most important? And Jesus says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. He says, and all of your daily energies, everything you put your hands to. Love the Lord God with all of your strength. Give it all you've got. And then he continues. And Jesus says here, the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. This phrasing is not talking about brothers and sisters. This is talking about people who do not know Jesus. Your neighbor is your neighbor Okay, now keep listening. Look at this. He says this. The teacher of the religious law replied, well said, teacher. You've spoken the truth by saying that there is only one God and no other. And I know it's important to love him with all my heart and with all my understanding, and with all my strength and to love my neighbor as myself. This is more important than to offer all the burnt offerings and sacrifices required of law. So now listen, the man, the religious teacher who knows God, hears Jesus' words and says, yes, 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 you've got it. You've articulated it. I understand it now. You want me to love you with all my life and you want me to begin to live it out by loving my neighbor and living out my daily energies and living out my spiritual gifting. I got it. Yes, I, I, it's making sense in my brain now. Look what Jesus says to the man. He says this. Realizing how much the man understood, Jesus said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. He says, you're not far. You're just on the precipice. You're just right there. Like, like you, you got it in your head, you got it in your mind, you got it in your speech, but now you've got to start doing something about it. You're, you're right there. You're like, you're, you're getting it. You, 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 you're starting to change your life. I understand God's doing some significant things with his grace, but in order for you to experience the word kingdom means rulership and reign, the reign and the rulership of God in your life fully, you've got to step out in faith and start doing something about the grace that God has given you. You've got to start figuring out what is the spiritual gift you've given me, God, and we'll help you do that. And now you've got to start by faith, putting it into practice and putting it into practice and putting it into practice, serving one another in love, serving one another in love, serving unbelievers, serving your neighbor. What you will find is you will begin to experience a Christianity that maybe you've never experienced before. 
You'll experience something of what it feels like to get your, your bum out of the chair and you, you, yeah, get out of your mind a little bit and get out of trying to articulate it well and actually start doing something about it. And the reason I'm excited about it is because I know there is tremendous breakthrough for your life coming when you start doing and being who God has called you to do and be. You are not far from the kingdom of God. And you want to know why Paul wrote this? He wrote this for this last verse. He said this, you're not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus, as you wait for the apocalypse. We don't have this type of mindset today, but I want you to hear me as I end today. We as North Americans and the Canadian church do not have this mindset. But when Paul wrote this verse, he wrote it with eternity in mind. He wrote it in a way where he knew that as he was writing these words, they were saturated with the apocalypse of God. They believed, literally believed that at any moment, like a thief in the night, Jesus would return for his bride. And they knew that when you die and you go to heaven, when you go to heaven, to the, the spirit heaven, you're going to be, you're in that place because of the grace of God. But do you know that when Jesus returns, he will restore the new, this earth and this heaven to a new heaven and a new earth. And your oh, life on that new heaven and new earth is actually based on the works that you did on this earth. This doesn't mean it's, you're not going to get into heaven. It doesn't mean that by faith you're in heaven. That's pure access to heaven is when you have faith in Jesus Christ. But when he restores the new heaven and the new earth, do you know that we will stand in account and he will say, what did you do with what I gave you? We see it in scripture. You know the parable of the talents, the parable of the stewards. They came back. This one guy said, I buried it. And Jesus looked at him and said, well, guess what? He threw him out. I want you to hear my words today. Paul was saying, listen, if you want to be the church of God, if you want to be sanctified, if you want to be who everything God's called you to be, you want to experience the life that God intends for you, you have to start doing something about the grace God has given you. Stop sitting there and thinking about it and talking about it. Let's start doing it. With eternity in mind, knowing that you don't even realize that like a thief in the night, Jesus could come back. The apocalypse of God could come at any moment and you and I will make it to heaven. But what did you do with what God gave you as a gift? You will stand account. I want you to know that today. I'm being honest with you and sharing the truth with you as a follower of Jesus. We will stand before God and say, Lord, I gave my life fully to your kingdom by doing everything I could do to be obedient to the gifts and the call of God in my life. He's going to say, good job, my good and faithful servant. I want you to get this so badly this morning because I sense in my spirit that many of us are on three. We're just living in grace and that's awesome. I applaud you, great. But come on church, we're gonna go to the next level. Come on, church, we're going to begin to experience what it really means to experience the fulfillment of God when you start having value and purpose as a follower of Jesus Christ. I want to see you experience what God has for your life. Amen? Would you stand with me this morning? Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecity.org.
www.bethanychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with God.